Greetings. We offer these podcasts freely, and your support really makes a difference. To make a donation, please visit tarbrock.com. Namaste, friends. Welcome. So I'm here today with Hamid Ali, who's an author and spiritual teacher. And I want to just tell you a little about him, and then we're going to be talking. But maybe to start with that, uh, this is one of those uh, interviews or conversations I've been really, really excited about because of the impact Hamid has had on my own practice. So you'll hear more about that. He's the founder of the Diamond Approach to Self-Realization. And this emerged in the context of ancient spiritual teachings and modern depth psychology theories. So I'll be asking him to tell you about the Diamond Approach. Um, And for now, I just want to kind of say that in reading his most recent book, Non-Dual Love, so much inspiration. I'll show it to you. This is what it looks like. Um, And you'll see the little post-its because, uh, you know, just so many parts of it that I just sat with and found uh, really touched something deep. So I want to, right from the get-go, let you know about his latest book. Again, it's Non-Dual Love. And just to say that I've only had a few encounters uh, at retreats uh, with Hamid where we were in the same place, but um, it's been incredibly nourishing to my path. So I'm delighted to share him with you today and welcome to you. Thank you for being with us. I thought maybe I'd start in kind of as promised with a broad stroke question, which is to tell us a little about the diamond approach, you know, for listeners who are either Buddhist or more generally exploring mindfulness and compassion and have had no exposure. Can you just give us a bit of a feeling for what this approach is? Well, it's all the diamond approach from the beginning. First, I want to say I'm glad to be here with everybody and share with everybody and think that'll be useful for all of us. And that's what the Diamond Approach is really, is something to be useful for people who come in contact with it. I started with my own personal experience in the 70s and 60s, 70s and 80s. And uh, at some point, I was having certain experiences, certain awakenings, you know, of different kinds. And at some point, I recognize this is not just for me. Other people can benefit from it because some of the truths arising were universal. They were true about other people, both in terms of the spiritual condition that arise and the particular obstacles, the psychological thing that's come up. So I start working with people from that perspective. And then after a while, I recognize this is really a whole teaching that is emerging. Like there are so many parts of it, there's so many dimensions and facets to it. I address different parts 
of the human consciousness and the human life. So it dawned me that I, I didn't set out to do a teaching, develop a teaching or anything like that. It developed itself. And I happened to be the vehicle. You know, so that's the thing about spiritual reality. Spiritual reality does this thing. We're not in, in control. We're not the pilot. The spiritual reality comes through. And and for a while, you might think we're doing it. But at some point, it shows itself, no, I'm the one who's here. <laughs> I, I just want to say that one of the things you said at some point that most impacted me is that reality is meditating. So that I sit down to meditate, and I think of your words, well, it's reality that's meditating. And it helps to immediately dissolve that sense of being the meditator trying to do something. Yeah, I mean, that goes to the very heart of non-duality, because that's what non-dual means, meaning the spiritual nature, the awareness of the current is not separate from the individual who is practicing. They are two sides of the same thing. So when we are separate, we think we are meditating, we are doing this, we are doing that. When we recognize that separateness is not true, we are one with our nature, and our nature pervades everything, including all of our mind and body and consciousness. Well, who's meditating then? There's only one. <laughs> Can you say more how you describe our nature? You know, you talk about true nature a lot. I mean, it's kind of recognizing that is right at the center what are the ways it manifests and you know what are the flavors just speaking a little bit to that yeah i use the word true nature so parallel to the buddhist concept of buddha nature to the garba and the buddhist concept of buddha nature i don't use it because it's used the word buddha i mean it's it's, it's, it's people think of it as, as a particular buddha while it's not what is really meant, but it's similar. However, in the so I call it true nature, the true nature of of our consciousness, true nature of reality, true nature of what we are. And um, the thing that this teaching has shown that true nature manifests appears in many ways, not just one way, and it takes us on many journeys. So it can manifest as uh, pure awareness, luminous, transparent, pure awareness that is filling our consciousness, that is composing our consciousness and body and everything, or it can manifest as presence, as pure presence, but also manifest as pure love. And that, uh, so love and awareness are two sides of the same thing in that case. But also manifests many qualities that I call uh, essential qualities of uh, of our true nature, which which are closer to the human uh, conscious, human like, for instance, you know, strength, uh, courage, um, power, uh, fulfillment, uh, peace. You know, well, quality. these are qualities of true nature. When they emerge, they're not just emotion. They're not just thoughts. They are, they are really 
through nature itself and its very presence and consciousness manifesting in this quality and imbuing our individual consciousness for us to feel experience that these are part of what we are part of the treasure that is available to human beings and that was has been really very useful for many people because many people they don't long for awareness or for emptiness but they long for love they know they need courage and and they need uh sense of capacity and they need uh, ability to relate to other human beings i mean they're, they're stuff of life and so these qualities are part of what's needed the stuff of life but they are they really needed for the inner path for the practice we need to love courage and perseverance and uh, commitment and all that to be able to continue practicing but these are not just our mind deciding to do these things these are qualities of our being for true nature that we when they manifest when we can access them they're naturally present and then part of what we are which makes both our life and our practice much easier you know more manageable and that in time takes us to more the transcendent qualities like awareness and emptiness i mean it is the same nature and just reveals itself if we access if we become in touch we recognize ourselves as that and just keep revealing keep showing keep manifesting and folding to show not only many qualities there are many realization for instance you know i talk this book is about non-dual realization but there are other realization that uh, that the uh, true nature shows us at some point that uh, I don't mention this book I don't, I don't think this is a topic of the today but the idea is that reality is really mysterious and full of surprises and what i learn is not to take any state and condition to be that's it that's the final thing and every time i did that <laughs> change me to something else <laughs> You know, I love what you're saying right now. A few things I want to just highlight. One is that we have sometimes a static notion about true nature or what we're trying to get to or experience. And by um, exploring it more as a, a range of essence qualities that come out through these body minds in different ways actually helps us trust what we belong to more you know and we can we can sense it more readily and that it keeps on changing uh frees us from holding on to anything and keeps us open and curious about whatever else is coming so i, I love that it creates an attitude that actually makes us more available and it makes us not be become fixated or exactly. attached i mean exactly. if we're attached to one thing it we get clobbered you know we feel the obstruction we feel the tension and uh, and we open up and things flow and become easy again you know so then a question this is a little bit coming right into this moment are you in your own way of being 
aware of the essence qualities that are arising in any given moment? Myself, yes. Um, that's how I practiced, is to be aware of what's arising. And not just to be aware of it, to become curious about it and delve into it and explore it in as much depth and as much breadth as possible. Both what it is and how does it impact my usual ordinary consciousness and mind, how it affects my life. It's an interesting journey, you know. So, yes, I mean, and that's what everybody who learns this teaching has to do. They need to become aware of them. So, and and does that include what's the quality of consciousness when you're engaged for instance right now as we're speaking is there some witnessing or some noticing of the essence qualities or what's going on that's happening as part of this yeah witnessing or awareness is always of course constant and that's why, in some sense, mindfulness is a basis for the, the exploration that I engage in. Without without being aware of what's there, I don't know what to what to explore. So it says there is, you know, from the beginning. I mean, I learned, you know, Vipassana many years ago myself. But what sort of was there was already present. So, but I teach many of my students awareness, to be aware of body and mind, and then to become aware of what arises in it. And for the beginning, many people are aware most of their sensation, emotion, thoughts, and all of that. And that is fine, how to approach them in a way that is not judgmental, and to learn to work with the judgments and uh, the criticism that our mind brings is, is it is not is good enough whatever all these arise that are much of the pain at the beginning to learn how to work with these things so that experience can be there on its own without reaction to it when experience is there without reaction whether judgment or rejection or whatever then it is possible to explore. Explore mean, doesn't mean I do anything to it. I don't poke it or stuff like that. It's more like I'm curious. I'm interested to know what is its truth. What, what is it? Why is it arising? What's it about? What's it connected to? How is it relevant to what's happening right now? And that that curiosity is to me one of the most powerful, useful, leading kind of attitudes that that comes across Hamid you know it, it it's like no matter what's going on if you can be interested in it there's some possibility to not be as identified and to really wake up through it and you use inquiry a lot in the diamond approach and I, I was hoping you could share some about it because it's you know it's such an amazing technique well inquiry is the main practice central practice of the diamond approach it's basically an investigation and exploration of our present experience. Not something happened in the past. No, what's happening right now. To really feel it, sense it, taste it, and as completely as possible. And if there are any obstructions 
to experience it completely, to explore that, what's that? So that began to melt away uh, and dissolve. And then the experience was arising is uh, some presence, then there's a discovery, it's nice. And then, but okay, but then I say, what is the presence? What that feel like? What that about? Or sometimes what's arising is sadness, for instance. You know, I explore sadness. What's the sadness about? It could be something, it might be something about the present or something about the past. And so exploring it is finding out the meaning of it. What is the meaning of the sadness? What's, how is it related to what? And that is an ongoing exploration then, because there's always content in experience. So it's not a matter of just being aware of the content and letting it be. It's really getting interested, especially in the content that seem to be foreground, that seem to be impacting experience. That, that is really important for experience of life at the present time. That, that's what I call the the, the bur what I call burning question. The question that has to, that's something arises that I need to know. I need, there's, an, uh, there's a sense of passion about this is something. I, I got to understand, I got to experience. So, so the inquiry, of course, curiosity is an important part of it, but it has many other uh, capacities of consciousness necessary, like I mentioned, awareness and curiosity, but love. Well, the love is more loving to know what is the truth. So the, the, the motive, is not I want to be get someplace. Mm -hmm. It's not I want to change it to experience some transcendence or you know. It's more like I you know, want to know what is the truth of this. Whatever it is, I want to know its truth. And if we follow the truth of what is happening, it, it is connected to other truth in, in our in our experience. And 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 because everything in us is interconnected with everything else in us and things in the world too. So if you follow the, the thread of truth, it could take us to deeper and more profound truth until we get to the you know truth of true nature and uh, its qual its qualities. So there is. You know, awareness, there's uh, curiosity. There's also need to be compassion, kindness, because a lot of what arises is pain and suffering. And we cannot deal with that if we're not kind to ourselves. If we judge ourselves or we try to change the So kindness means I'm able to welcome the pain mm -hmm. and the suffering mm -hmm. and hold it uh, tenderly so that it reveals its truth. You know, what's it about? And that can deepen both the compassion and the experience. So compassion or kindness is important for inquiry. And there's also a need for courage because sometimes it's difficult. It's, it's difficult. Sometimes we encounter anger or rejection or abandonment and, and might be scary. Sometimes encounter emptiness or, or or fears, so they need to be courage, and courage is one of the qualities also of our true nature. And we need perseverance. We need to persevere. We're not just okay. I'm with it for a while, but then you know, forget about it, something else. Distract me. 
even if I'm living my life, I have to do other things. The thread remains in, within me, and I come back to it. I mean, it sounds like basically we need the qualities that are essence expressions in order to come back to realizing essence. The, exactly. In other words, the very qualities for inquiry are, the, are essence qualities themselves. Yeah. At the beginning, we have them on some level, like a, a sort of a shadow of them and our emotions and mind and all that. And we, we use those until we get to the actual real qualities. Mm -hmm. Then that empowers uh, the inquiry to, for it to become much stronger and more profound. And you often teach about how no matter what the emotion is, how much painful, how squeezing, uh, that there's naturally a kind of a transformation to something that's really a beautiful quality, an essence quality. Can, could you speak a little more to that, how uh, emotions get transformed? Yeah, because every really, all of our experience is an expression of something about us, something about our true nature. But it is appearing in a way as a reaction or as a distortion or as a historical overlay or something conditioning from outside. And so if we understand those things, they will unveil, they will part like a veil that parts and reveal what's underlying them, what's really behind. I mean, for instance, you know, uh, there is uh, hatred because there is love. There is anger because there is strength. You know, uh, there is fear because there is just uh, fearless awareness. So all of these, uh, the human emotion are really a reflection of something more real. By understanding them, we get to what's real, and that's how they transform. So instead of being scared, what's, what fear is about is to protect us, you know. And But if we're really aware and conscious of what's there, that's really what's needed. You know, fear is, is, is basically get, gets us to be more alert. Uh, well, when it is natural fear, not when it's neuro neurotic fear, then to close us down, you know. I sometimes think of it as every emotion is life, loving life, but there's a torque because there's a perception of separation and that torques them in some way. And when you start inquiring, it's as you say, you kind of dissolve that sense of separateness and then the basic intention of the energy can express itself in a natural, more pure way. That is exactly the case that uh, or it says anger when people feel anger feel anger anger has a sense of intensity sense of aggression but it's a sense of sort of inner heat like it's hot anger is hot when you really feel it if you just feel the heat not the effect of aggression the heat will lead you to something hot that's uh, warm in in the consciousness and that heat turned out to be one of the main characteristic of the inner essential quality that when we experience it, experience it as pure strength, mm. pure strength and energy and uh, courage and uh, assertiveness. 
you know. So there is no need for anger. I'm strong and courageous, and I could say what I want, you know. And that's a that's anger. such a cool example because yeah, you said when you really feel the heat rather than the other elements, it's the yeah. narrative around anger. You know, you did this; he shouldn't have done that. I couldn't. You know, right. it's the narrative that keeps the perception of separate self there. As soon as you let go of the narrative and just feel the energetic qualities then they're free to express themselves in that that you know wholesome empowered way exactly and we need to not push away the narrative we need to acknowledge it have some understanding of it so that, so that will lead so it will relax and to show that what's anger is about energetically is... that's really important that you're saying that and it bring, and it, in and in a way this is a kind of a an extension you work with a lot of buddhist practitioners have come to different uh, yeah. ridwan or diamond heart mm -hmm. and a lot of the buddhist um meditation practices have to do with step out of your thoughts step out of your thoughts come you know come into presence and what i'm hearing you say is that you don't want to get entangled and lost in believing your thoughts but if you don't have some awareness of the narrative you can't untangle and you talk about it, the object relations the different underlying kind of snags that actually keep us identified so maybe you could speak more to that yeah object relation the way that our sense of self gets structured from early childhood by our relationship with our important people in our life they become internalized and become impressed in our consciousness as some kind of structures of consciousness that will appear in the self as patterns of relationship and interaction and character and uh, we need to recognize those because you cannot drop the self just by saying it's a self i don't want it the self is composed of so many layers of years of development it, and it's natural for it to develop it's not a mistake you know it was it was a mistake then there'll be people around the world who who grow up without self everybody grow up with the self or the ego self because that's part of the development of the human consciousness and it ha and and has all the history when we were little kids we we're very impressionable everything is done was oh we experience leave an impression it's not just a memory an impression and consciousness like forms forms us forms our sense of what we are and that becomes a self and that need to be unpacked really so for me i you know i had experiences when i stepped out of the self i wasn't in the self i was something else but that didn't really liberate me. Yeah, liberation happens by really getting into the self and its content and not being afraid of that. That's, that's our history. That's what we want to experience. And if it hasn't been understood completely, you know, understood and um, in a way that uh, there's no rejection of it, no fear of it, it won't go away it will stay there so as an understanding it means it has come it's welcomed it's light is shed on it it is and i call it metabolism it's metabolized you know metabolism of our history as we as i metabolize my history it becomes what leaves a certain kind of truth 
you know some of it is true some of it is love stuff around it and uh, it reveals truth uh, the, the truth we're talking about like courage and well like some sometimes somebody's experience their will gets thwarted they felt they couldn't do anything they felt they didn't have it and all of that by working through the history around it the will arises then one then one gets work because it is part of what we are it's our part of being human is that we have this treasure of true nature as our nature so it arises as some kind of solidity and you know, solidity and grounding and confidence you know it is natural to us and i think it's natural for all human beings and i wish <laughs> as many human beings as possible access those qualities themselves because they'll be more human i'm with you and i feel like what you're getting at is something that's really important for people that are involved with practices with the intention to wake up to who they really are but have a program in their brain that says that means i have to get dissolve the self get beyond the self and it turns in a subtle way into a self trying to dissolve itself and that creates a tension in people and some it's more conscious and some it's not conscious but i think there's a message sometimes that it's a mistake or bad to have an identification with the self and then then what's needed is what you're describing is a willingness not to be at odds with but really just get interested and willing to explore well how did this identification form what is truth and that takes a lot of um tenderness takes a lot of love and i and i was just hoping you could speak some i mean this book is on non-dual love and you also talk about bringing love to the different processes going on you talk about the relationship between awareness and love so just to invite you to speak more of it yeah i mean the more we are actually open the more we explore the sense of self and it is sort of entangled and uh, understood and, and sort of it, uh, the more we understand the more it tends to dissolve it tends to sort of recede it tends to be less powerful and its hold on our consciousness then the more the heart opens naturally the heart is there, you know, not open for money or restricted because a lot of the identification and, and the history of the, you know, whether it was a trauma or abandonment or pain, whatever, that closed the heart. So the heart opens at some point and then the qualities of love begin to come through as some of the qualities of our true nature. And love, there are many kinds and non-dual love is... Uh, is one particular kind but it's more like a dimension an ocean of love where all kind of love emerge you see and um i i wrote a book before this one which is uh, love unveiled which where i discuss different qualities of love like passionate love or an appreciative love or connection love all these are love that are important for human being here i'm talking about some that underlies it but what is love love and its uh, fundamental ground as a, as a boundless infinite infinite when we experience it 
Uh, I think you, you probably read my experience there in the, in the book about it. It's like it's, it suffuses everything. It's everything. It's just like awareness. You know, when you're aware, when you recognize the nature of awareness, it's everywhere. It's not like just in my mind. Awareness pervades everything. Find that that love actually can you can experience it as pervading everything, and it is a, a characteristics or a dimension of our fundamental spiritual nature that is inherently there. You know, inherent to our to nature that has love, has goodness. People know that through na- that spiritual nature is good in, in general, but human being understand good to be loving. When we say good, what does good mean? You know, uh, very much associated with with uh, with love because because goodness means love means to love somebody means I want them to be happy. I love them in such a way. I like them in a way that I want them to be as happy as they are, as they can be, and as fulfilled as possible. That's what love is, and uh, so. Self-love is important that way, and loving others, and then recognizing where love comes from. So that really, we have love, we have human hearts, because the universe has hearts as one of its dimensions. Awareness is basic ground, but, but that awareness can become loving, can become golden or pink or whatever, and beautiful and sweet, and melty, and soft and caressing and so uh, I call it divine love sometimes non-dual love meaning it's pure and has no self in it and it's a wonderful thing to for a human being to recognize that love is not only come through my heart but my heart the instrument the eye through which I can be aware that love is unbounded, that mm. is everywhere, it comes through everybody's heart. Mm. You know, it's the same love when it comes mm. through people's hearts. And the main characteristic of it is, is an, not selfish, not self-centered, mm. and um, not self-seeking. It's completely giving, effulgent, uh, generous. And... Uh, if it comes through a human heart, there is a feeling of recognizing that love in other people and appreciating their, their preciousness because they are really uh, a being of both awareness and love. This brings up two questions. And the first one is, if love is an essence expression of awareness, is it any different qualitatively from the other essence expressions, whether it's faith or strength or whatever? There's a number of them. Is there any difference in terms of primordial or more basic? Are they all expressions of awareness? Well, and and the path I follow, the teaching that has developed show there are many qualities of essence, like will and strength and power and compassion and clarity, intelligence, all of that. And these are, there are many, I don't know how many. 
I know probably 30 or 40 of them. I'm sure there are more, right? Like fulfillment and, and satisfaction and, you know, joy and all of these things. And then there are, uh, these are things closer to the human, uh, human mind can relate to them, even if they don't know about uh, true nature or essential nature. You know, most people, love makes sense to them, compassion makes sense to them, strength makes sense to them, courage makes sense to them. But when it comes to the other dimension, the other thing about true nature, which are not the quality, what I call dimensions, which are more basic, or the ground of all these qualities. And the ground is, is more transcendent, is not individual, and it is unbounded, not within one skin, one heart, or one body. And um, these are basics, and many teachings have emphasized some or another. So one of them is emptiness, for instance, pure emptiness, emptiness of non-existence, of non-being, but also being is a dimension, pure presence. That is everywhere. Everything is a pure presence of, you know, feels like it has awareness, has fullness, has uh, substantiality, like a, a full. Uh, you know, when you say somebody has presence, what do we mean? You know, something comes through that is present. It's not like their body is present. It's not like just like their awareness, their presence. And presence is its own thing. And it's a whole field, it's a whole dimension. That's what I call pure being, a pure presence. And there is a dimension of uh, pure love. And uh, there's a dimension, pure awareness. And the pure awareness is, is just the capacity to have experience, mm. capacity to perceive. So pure awareness for me is non-conceptual. Mm -hmm. There is not necessarily knowing what I'm aware of. I'm just aware. And the knowingness come from the presence has the capacity, cognitive capacity that is added to the, mm. to the awareness. And then there is a dynamic creative dimension, which is make things happen, make things change. How do things change in this boundless expanse of non-duality? Because people talk about non-dual, everything is not separate from each other. It's true, they're not, not separate, but they change and they move. The car is not separate from the road, but it moves on the road from one block to another. What makes it move? Right? There is a dynamic dimension that is always creating and changing things. So, and then there is a dimension of uh, emptiness, pure emptiness. So I usually work with five of those uh, transcendent dimensions. I'm sure there are more, but those five I find very useful to have because they account for things in our experience, like emptiness account for the fact that there's space, you know, awareness account that we have experience, love account that we have heart, the uh, pure presence has knowing is account for the fact that there's knowing and the dynamism account for the fact that there's life, there's movement, there's growth, there's development. The account, so, but these have basic 
ground that are responsible for them and make those are possible. So that's going from the particular qualities to fundamental grounds. You know, many teachings, they take just one ground and stick with it. Mm-hmm. Like that way we don't talk about consciousness, pure consciousness, right? In Buddhism, I think it's 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 either emptiness or awareness or empty awareness as the ground, which are true. They are ground, <laughs> fundamentally. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that, you know. You know, in this teaching, uh, those I, I cannot, I know them as a ground, but I also see love as a ground. Mm-hmm. In the sense, we can see everything made out of love. Just like we can see everything made out of pure, translucent awareness, we can see everything made out of this luminous, golden, sweet lovingness. You and know. that's so this leads us because I think what I'm hoping to kind of drop into a little more now is what helps uh, awaken us to that. I mean, what are the ways of intentionally opening? Let's say we're starting off from a sense of separateness where there's some ego perceptions, but we want to open more to the love that's already there, but we're feeling blocked from what are ways of opening to love intentionally yeah first we need to be somewhat our heart need to be open i mean we need to be able to feel love at least the qualities of love like liking and appreciation and compassion all of that and then after that we need to see through the main non-dual obstacle which is the separateness which is here they believe I'm a separate entity. I'm an independent, separate entity in my own, with my own will and choice and all of that. We recognize that as actually a structure in the mind. It's a mental belief that's not really, if we, if we feel into our presence, there isn't anything like that. It is something in the mind that puts over us. If we see that, we understand it, it will relieve us from the boundaries, the separateness, and then the heart to become unbounded. And when the heart becomes unbounded, it becomes this divine non-dual love, which is, you know, bring it brings in love to non-duality, which is, you know, many traditions talk about non-dual teaching. Here I am trying to say, yes, there is non-dual experience, which is important, but that non-dual experience can also be based on love Mm. for some of us it's not so easy to just see oh here are the blocks here's how i'm creating separation and then in the seeing there's a releasing and then the love fills up for some um it it's being with the pain of the separation and you know i've seen for myself so many times that by bringing attention to that pain, it's not the realization, oh, I'm creating separation. It's not that, which is almost mental at that time. It would be it would be there, but it would be mental. It's more um, the being with and opening to, you know, I'm thinking of times I have felt um, deficient, ashamed, in pain at that. And... Um, then getting to a place of of powerlessness, helplessness, like just please love me, universe. <laughs> please love me. And if my plea 
and my prayer and the longing to feel loved is strong enough, there's a kind of porousness that allows for me to feel the love. And then in that feeling the love, feeling bathed, there's a dissolving of that separateness. And I realize, oh, it's not love out there coming from out there. It's just the love of this universe that's living through. But I have to go through the portal of the presence with pain. It doesn't come because I realize, oh, I'm creating separation. You're, you're correct. I had to do the same thing. And you know, I went through years of feeling not exactly separate. I, I wasn't trying to get to non-separateness because I didn't assume that there is such a thing. I was just feeling constriction. Like I was bounded by some walls, you know, and they were made out of tension, mm. you know, around my body. And... Uh, and made me feel constricted, small, and with all the history that that wall, which is a, a called ego boundaries, the wall is 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 the made out of all the images we have of ourselves that in time include the images of our body. So we take the contours of our body as our boundaries of what we are. That becomes very deeply instilled in our consciousness. Mm. And it takes a great deal of attention to to that and understanding it. And so it's first it's chipped away by understanding the various things I talked about, about different things, about abandonment or fear or, you know, aggression and all of these things, because those are involved with the images that form the, the boundaries. And at some point it becomes just the fact it's the experience is bounded and feels constricted, like my presence is there and feels it's hemmed in. <laughs> and that, and then I explore that. And exploring that, you see, the same way with kindness and allowing it to be there until until there is a recognition at some point that it is really a mental concept in my mind. Mm. When that recognition happens it tend to lose its power. Mm -hmm. It begin to peter out. And that, as it peters out, the lovingness not only emerges from within, uh, emerges from, from, from everywhere. But you know, love has something different from other uh, dimension in the sense it brings in longing. Mm. Uh, because when we are away from what we love when our heart is uh, sort of somewhat constricted that constriction appears as longing for the, the true love uh, longing for that openness of, of the heart and like people rarely are are longing for awareness for instance or emptiness they don't long people most people don't long for these things you know unless they learned about enlightenment read about it <laughs> they don't want it but the actual heart longing it, I want to be loved, I want to love myself, or I, I'm longing for love, you know. Uh, so basically longing for different kind of thing, the longing and the yearning and the teeth, and all the, you know, poetry, spiritual poetry throughout history is about love and yearning and longing, like Kabir and Rumi and others, and you know. so... Longing is a big part of how love manifests when love is constricted. 
when in some sense yearning and and longing uh, the expression of the fact that there is love there was no love there'll be no yearning i i i long for this why do i long for it because i love it <laughs> so so the longing can lead us to them love but I, it's good you brought in the question of longing because uh, our longing is a messenger really it's not mm, something to be gotten rid of as a messenger of the heart yeah. or something deep in the heart well what one of the things that i feel like i i'm so grateful for hamid in reading was you helped me understand better how Sometimes when we're caught in that identity as a separate self, the, the feeling of longing, which, as you say, is, I think of it as, you know, love calling me home. If we embody it, if we open to it, that openness actually allows the love that's always already there to come. And it's similar with prayer that yeah. there is a way, a wise way of prayer that, um, you know, when I'm praying in some way metaphorically my head is bowed it's like this recognition that uh this ego self can't do it you know and it's and it's a letting go of, of of that notion of a you know doing self and then that makes room for what's again here but you brought in how it can be really useful given we hang out a lot in that separate self state to be able to go these pathways but also that there's limitations that we can then get stuck in always feeling like we're turning to something larger and so i i was just hoping you could speak to that to um that amazing chapter you know personal god because just discerning between religious and spiritual you know just the personal relationship how it can be valuable how it can be limiting with with a sense of the sacred yeah, I remember an experience I had, I don't know if it's in this book, where it was a prayer, I was praying. And the prayer was basically asking for forgiveness. And uh, in the prayer, I recognized I can't get out of my way. As I was praying, I recognized... Uh, you know, I couldn't completely ask for forgiveness because there's some things in me that didn't, that were in the way. And little by little in the prayer, I recognized the utter helplessness I was in. Mm -hmm. Like I couldn't do anything. Whatever I say, it comes out from ego, whatever. I, even the, my prayer was coming out of ego. Mm. You know, the, the ego was there as part of my identity. And when recognizing that, I thought, it's hopeless. I can't do anything. It is recognizing that complete, utter helplessness, which was not just about me, but it is objective, true helplessness. It's not like helpless because something is stopping me. I'm helpless because that's the nature of, of this consciousness. You know, such separate individuals helpless, can't do, cannot liberate itself. Recognizing that helplessness then when I recognize and let it be, helpless, can't do anything, not in my hand, that's when there was a descent that happens of like I got showered with honey, very thick, sweet honey that melted body, melted the boundaries, 
all the way to complete cessation of consciousness. Melted everything, including my consciousness. And when I woke up from that cessation, it was complete clarity. It's a beautiful illustration. Um, there's something about helplessness that so has such truth to it that it's that re the realizing the truth itself dissolves, and then there's um, there's the space that can fill with the loving. And you, um, in several, uh, and I'll just say to everyone listening, there are several ways that Hamid describes his his own experience in a, an amazingly vivid way that give you a sense of how things can happen. And in one of those, you described, it was a different example, but of going, of the helplessness and then grace, you know, the, the unfolding of the love. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm just wondering if you can speak more to how we are caught in thinking we have to make an effort. And it's real. We do have to make an effort to a certain degree, but it's not until we kind of give up the efforting that that full grace can happen. That's very true. That's very, you know, right on. You know, as long as we take ourselves to be a separate individual, we have to make an effort. We, we have to assume we have will. We have free will. Ultimately, we don't. But on that level of identification, we can choose. We have a choice to go one way or another. And we need to apply our choice and we need to apply our efforts all the way to recognizing that the effort doesn't work. But in the effort, like, you know, at the beginning, people, when they learn to meditate, they have to put an effort. They have to tell themselves, yes, I want to sit and meditate. And it's not easy for many people to come and sit and meditate for half an hour, an hour every morning. It takes a lot of discipline. And at the beginning, it's effort. Before it becomes easy and we like it and becomes something we love to do. <laughs> but for a while, it takes effort. So effort is the work of the uh, separate self that takes it to the level of recognizing its effort is in the way. <laughs> and then it can naturally drop the effort. And as you were saying before, what lets that all work is that what's really behind the effort is there's something in us that loves truth and loves love. So it, it it's it's um, mingled in with a sense of a self trying to get somewhere, but there's that pure love for waking up that is in some way, you know, moving it all. I think you're right. It's natural for a human being to arise in them at some point, what's called the thought of enlightenment or the enlightenment drive, which is a drive, just like the three and six show drive, the actual spiritual drive at some point that wakes up and emerges to want to move, expand, to open up, to recognize the, what I see in life is not all there is. There's something more. The way I am is not it. I'm not happy. I'm not, isn't, what I'm doing is not going to do it. So there is a natural recognition. And, and that drive is powerful. And not all human beings, it, it's a potential for all human beings. 
but it needs a certain level of maturity and opportunity for it to wake up mm. and to exert its power. And it's powerful, mm. you know. And the more powerful it is, the more powerful is our practice. And it's really ultimately what helps the practice make it effective. It is a true nature, in some sense, moving to reveal itself. Mm-hmm. And appears in us as the desire or the drive or the wanting to wake up or to be more free, to be free of suffering or to be more, more real or have more meaning, whatever it is, it appears that way. It totally resonates. I mean, there's some ways of framing it that whatever suffering we seem to be experiencing is awareness waking up through us, kind of calling our attention to recognize the block, recognize the the twerk of thinking we're separate, and in that recognizing, you know, come back into wholeness. One of the blocks that seems really big um, for most people to loving is that there's um, early pain and then dissociating from the body and so that it becomes an abstraction, that that the heart loves is an abstraction. And I'm wondering, because I know that you you really um, invite people right into the nitty-gritty of feeling where things are, felt sense. You speak a little to embodiment as a kind of essential part of waking up through the blocks. Yeah, that's why one of the practices I teach is a kind of embodiment has to do with the body and being able to sense the body, be aware of the body, to be grounded in the body. The body becomes, in some sense, the outer skin of consciousness. It is sensitive too. And uh, and so that's I use breathing techniques and things like that to awaken this. the body is not only need to be aware of it it need to be awakened it's sort of uh, deadened and uh, muted because of all the identification and the construction ego structure the ego identity doesn't just make the mind be dull it makes the body be dull mm, exactly so the body become need to be vivified and alive, and that is how our spiritual nature awakens, partly through the body and the heart and the mind. So being aware of the body and freedom of the body is a very important part, at least of this path. I know some teaching they sort of push away the body, like the Greeks, so the body was a problem. <laughs> <laughs> you can't be free while you are the body. I don't, I, don't, I don't have that view. I think the body is part of what we are. In fact, the Buddhism has that, that you have to be born in a human body to have the opportunity for enlightenment, right? And and I think that is very true. We need to be human, which means to have a human body for us to wake up to what we are, but also for a consciousness to learn things it couldn't learn without the body. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the body here, we're here in the in the physical plane, not just to be liberated, but to be liberated and live a liberated life. That, to live exactly. life fully. 
And we need to be liberated to see what life is, what does it offer, what are opportunities of learning and discovery and experience. And, and so the body is significant that way and having a human life is really important, is really precious. And it's good for us to know ourselves as completely as possible so that our life become a real life. It's, mm. it's us, it is me, what I truly am, my true present awareness, living my life, not my identity from the past, not a shadow of myself living my life. It's me completely, directly, immediately living like life and going through it and expressing the qualities that I have learned in this life. And so life becomes both an opportunity and arena to give too. It's the easiest area to forget that in any moments that we're really caught in virtual or conceptual, we're not in that intimate, creative, dynamic aliveness. And I know for myself, I have to keep coming back. And so you teach different ways of deepening attention to where the blocks are in the body and in, in the emotional body. I wanted to ask you, like I, for myself, those bodies have been critical domains to untangle. The biggest, one of the biggest for me in the last decade has been the cultural body, the um, conditioning of our society and examining how the society's beliefs, of course, our caregivers are messengers, but, you know, beliefs in hierarchy, beliefs in who's better than who, uh, racial bias, how much, if that's unseen, there's still energetic um, blocks that keep me separate from a true sense of um, that the same love light energy is flowing through everybody. Like it's an idea and it's a felt sense when I'm meditating. But as I interact in the world, all those old structures from the cultural conditioning, especially racism, um, are there. And I'm wondering in Diamond Heart, if there's some emphasis on examining those blocks as part of truly freeing ourselves. Well, our true nature doesn't have those things. It's it's a timeless truth. Timeless truth has no gender, has no nationality, has no particular, you know, cultural identification, whatever. But you know, culture is natural. Some some is good to be grow up in certain culture and have a certain cuisine and say, you know. But you know, if we're identified with the culture, that can. Uh, color our consciousness and we, we can become a constriction that is not inherent to our true nature. So anything that's not inherent to our true nature will become a barrier. So, yes, in the path, we do work with cultural conditioning because it's part of conditioning. You know, and the same thing about, I mean, true nature, racist, how can it be? I mean, it's the true nature, the nature of everybody and everything. It's the same nature. So if I see if somebody being racist, I just say they're ignorant. They don't mean that's not reality. You know, they don't know themselves, basically. Well, well if you see somebody, regular person. But pretty much everybody you work with probably has basic, has worked 
on in some way addressing basic trust issues. I mean, there's different basic issues most of us encounter that are not true nature. They're expressions of that torque, twisted true nature that they need yeah. to untorque. And I guess what I was sharing with you is that for me, um, the racial conditioning has been a torque that until I examined it, I had no idea how much it was actually compartmentalizing my experiences of true nature. And if I wanted to live more from a realized place, how specifically important it was to examine that. So that's why I'm particularly bringing up racism, because I don't think it's just certain people who are ignorant. I think it's part of the air that we breathe. Well, yeah, and, the whole culture can be racist, sure. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, racism is it's also, uh, I mean, ancient thing. It's not new. Yeah. It's not yeah. just particular to our cultures. It's in most cultures, and it's been throughout history. Racism, slavery, and the subjugation, and, you know, inequality, these are parts of the human conditioning, and part of the ego life, you know, inherent to ego life, actually, because an, e an ego, if you are an ego, you're a separate, you want to have support of people like you, like you grew up with, and other people will sort of alien in some sense. Mm -hmm. Well, that takes us back to primitive times, sort of when, you know, you don't know the other tribe, they, they're probably dangerous till you know them, right? So it goes all the way back. It's very primitive, the human consciousness. But regardless of how old and primitive it is, it's, it is not true in our spiritual nature. Spiritual nature, totally open, totally uh, non-judgmental, tolerant. It's not only tolerant, it sees the same nature in everybody. Mm -hmm. I'm not just other people, animals and beings and all of that. I mean, they're all at nature itself, you know, as part it has the same true nature. We need to take care of our uh, our earth. Our earth is our mother. Exactly. <laughs> we I mean, grow I love up the way our bodies grow up in it. We cannot do without it. You describe the kind of waking up to boundarylessness. Uh, it's a, in a beautiful way. You said, you know, I am experiencing light and love. And then it expands to I am light and love. And yeah. then it goes to everything is light and love. Right. And I just wanted to invite you because I know we're closing in here. That boundarylessness, you know, of really getting it's not the light and love that's in here. There's no in, there's no out that it is the source and essence of everything. Uh, you know, just what helps us to open and relax into that one? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it is potential for all human beings because it is deep in us, but we have to be open to it. We have to, it doesn't just come by itself most of the time. For most people don't have access, unfortunately. It, it doesn't just, you know, forcefully come through every human being and just at a certain age, everybody knows about them. It doesn't work that way. There's a need to maturation and learning and interest and freedom and uh, and interest and liberation and and knowing the truth. 
of what reality is, what a human being is. And a human being is, through human being, uh, race is not an issue yeah, completely. I mean, uh, I mean, for instance, you know, I grew up in a different culture, a different country, you know. The, my, most of my, I'm considered a colored person, actually. Mm. I'm brown, right? Most of my students don't talk to me as if I'm a colored person. They don't know that. I mean, it's like they know it, but I don't talk from that perspective. I never did. You know, for me, I'm just a human being. A human being that embodies and expresses what is true to all human beings. So I'm not white, I'm not black or dark or this or that. But our bodies have those expressions, have those things. And that's our external, our vehicle in Earth comes with a different kind of colors and genders and all of that, which is the variety that through nature expresses itself. I see it as variety and richness, you know, instead of a problem, you know. <laughs> I wish that we all did the challenge. I won't frame it as problem because it's just reality playing itself out, is that when there's difference and then there's added to that something's bad and there's aversion, then humans violate each other. So there are many people who are people of color who would like to just say, oh, every, everybody's got a different appearance, but they're living in their with trauma in their bodies that are, are just like you described. We, those are layers that are that need attention and unblocking uh, in order yes, to come home. Some, and some people more than other, uh, you know, hold on to it for identity. We could become part of the identity. And uh, we not only uh, mistreat each other because of color and race, but also power dynamics. And, yes. Uh, yes. Yes. Uh, 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 Gender, I mean, our society is full of troubles like that. <laughs> it's true. I mean, hierarchy seems to be built into the human predicament. Our yeah. brain's architecture is to compare and, and seek yeah. to have, you know, one-upmanship and so on. Um, I mean, if it wasn't for our true nature, we're hopeless. <laughs> our own oh, gosh, that's a great really our true nature. <laughs> I think all the people and the reformers who are trying to do things outside, it's not going to work if it wasn't for our true nature. Well, I would say that our true nature is what's calling them to do the work. Well, and I, our true uh, nature, so, it's, so, yeah. and it's, a, it's an expression of reality that it that is, caring yes. would manifest yeah. in that way. It is, yeah. And I, but I think the issues you're bringing up are deep and profound, and it's going to take a while. It I, is. I don't think like in another 10 years or a century, these things are going to be all gone. It will be like the Star Trek universe, you know, where everybody is equal and nobody has to, <laughs> just their own excellence that would make them do one thing or another. That's a kind of thing. Unfortunately, I mean, the human race has been living like this for millennium, you know, goes up and down, certain areas, there's more tolerance, more uh, enlightenment than others, but the rest of the world is still in darkness. And we are sort of like this, you know, um, there's a mixture of lightness and dark, 
and I it's good that there's light this is uh, the light is spreading in many places you know uh, because of our global communication so we know and, and uh, about that and many teaching are uh, are going everywhere but I think the human identification with the separate self is so profound and many people are so busy making a living you know they don't have time to meditate or even question what their life about not you know because you know lack of opportunity all kind of stuff so it's going to take time but it's bound to happen at some point because it's our nature our nature is the most powerful thing there is it's what we are and so maybe a final question for you and, and thank you for this time yeah you um at the end of your book you talk about grace and you talk about grace you when you're describing your own uh experiences that when there's a seeing of 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 the selfing of the separate self it, it's grace that that spontaneous expression of of loving of that that honey pouring in or whatever it is yeah um, can you say more because i feel like it's such a um powerful and deep thing to attend to the the potential of grace in our lives yeah i mean i i remember that chapter so grace appears in people's life in different ways you know appears like in having a good life for instance to have a good opportunity and uh, being born in good circumstances having loving parents and encountering positive influences encountering teaching and teachers that is grace that is the function of grace of our true nature it is not just haphazard it's not just you know accident but the specific grace that sometimes we talk about is that we experience an actual energetic arising or, or a descent or, or a downpour of, of, of a presence or a quality of awareness that has a sense of goodness, a sense of uh, generosity, and it is an expression of love, really, the love of a true nature, but appears as grace. And it appears in different ways for different people and different circumstances can arise within within us within the heart or can arise sort of outside us and touches us and sort of melts us and and these are specific grace when but also grace you know if it wasn't for grace we won't practice for instance it's the grace that makes us practice really because through nature calling us calling our outer self to wake up here i am i'm knock at the door go practice <laughs> that is grace too but there could be very specific clear grace in the sense of an actual ex spiritual experience some kind of almost rain in the room that sort of makes everything beautiful that melts the boundaries and melts the self and and we just the aware presence mm. no. thank you for that it it feels like what you're sharing is if, as we can deepen trust that grace is grace is part of the expression of uh you know true awareness of love really calling us home carrying us home and it's and it arises 
exactly when the selfing starts to drop away. It's like it, we cle it clears the way for grace. Yeah, um, there's no elaboration without grace. And grace is what does it. The ego doesn't do it. The, yeah. the ego, and remember, we talked about it's helpless, can't really do it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Uh, so much that you've just brought in. So um, I, I want to thank you, really, for sharing with our community. And I want to let those listening again know this is not the only book. There are others, and um, but it's the most recent. And you got some little flavors of it through what we talked about. Um, so yeah, I also want to thank you, Tara, for this opportunity. I feel my heart and my sweetness for sort of suffusing the field, you know, which is sort of what's in the book. So it's really appearing, and I'm hoping that some of the people. At least some who are listening can taste that, can mm. feel it. That's the grace. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, my friend. Yeah, thank you. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs>